0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and on tonight's episode, Roy Wood Jr. joins the riots in Alabama. We show you how Hollywood helps the police, and then I'm gonna be interviewing a young man who's caught my eye over the past few years, and I don't know, guys. I think if I leave the show, he might be able to take my spot. His name is John Stewart. So, before we get into that, let's catch up on today's headlines. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world. This is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Let's begin with the COVID-19 pandemic, the virus that's somehow been to more parts of America than Guy Fieri. Back in March, when we first realized how serious it was A lot of people were like, damn, this might not be over until like the summer. Well, summer's here, and it turns out corona might just be getting started. Across the country, states are shattering coronavirus records with nearly 35,000 cases yesterday in the U.S., the highest one day total in two months. Today in Florida, a record 5,500 new cases, while California has seen a 29% jump in hospitalizations in just two weeks. And in
1: Texas, the governor's sounding the alarm. Houston's Texas Medical Center reports 97% of the area's current ICU beds are filled nearly three out of 10 with COVID patients.
0: Texas Children's Hospital is admitting adults to free up beds for COVID patients. Oh Lord, it's happening again. Just as New York's numbers started going down, the rest of the country is seeing an explosion in cases and hospitalizations. In fact, in places like Houston, Texas, it is getting so bad that they're even sending adults to the children's hospital which is awful. These people are seriously sick. They should not be at a hospital where all the doctors are children. What? That's not what a children's hospital, oh. And I'm not shocked this is happening. I mean, because let's be honest, much of America has treated the coronavirus the same way we treat our bodies in the winter, yeah? We're always like, yeah, I know it's not looking good right now, but when the summer comes, I promise you everything's gonna be in shape. And then the summer came and things were still not looking good. And people are like, "Yeah, screw it. I'm still going to the beach. So coronavirus records are being broken every day across America. In fact, right now, basically the only place where cases are actually declining is in the original epicenter of the outbreak in the Northeast, which is why New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut just announced that anyone who is entering the state will have to quarantine for two weeks. Now, that's gonna be almost impossible to actually enforce, but the good news is it already takes two weeks just to get through the Lincoln Tunnel into New York, so (laughs) it kind of takes care of itself. In fact, things are looking so bad for the US that Europe is considering a ban of all US citizens until they can figure out what the hell is going on. And I see where Europe is coming from, because we can't deny that the United States is doing a particularly bad job compared to other countries. I mean, look at this chart, right? Cases in all those other places are going down, while America went down for a little bit and then shot back up. So I guess congratulations on flattening the curve. The question is though, why is the US doing so badly? Well, while many Americans are wearing masks and socially distancing and following the advice of health experts, one thing you cannot overlook is that there are also many other Americans who are just really, really, um, well, you know, you, you, you judge for yourself.
1: At a commissioner's
2: meeting in Florida's Palm Beach County, anger erupted after a unanimous vote to make masks mandatory. Th- this turned downright ugly. Here, here was the scene. And ma'am, as a doctor, I really have many question marks about your degrees and what you really know. And I'm sorry, ma'am, but I don't think that you are worthy of your credentials. And I would ask suggestively that you go back to school and get educated. And they want to throw God's wonderful breathing system out the door. You're all turning your backs on it. You literally cannot mandate somebody to wear a mask knowing that that mask is killing people. It literally is killing people. And every single one of you that are obeying the devil's laws are going to be arrested. And you, doctor, are going to be arrested for crimes against humanity. Six feet, like I said before, is military protocol. You're trying to get the people to train them so when the the cameras, the 5G comes out, what? They're, they're, gonna, they're gonna scan everybody. We gotta get scanned, we gotta get temperatured.
0: Yes, it appears America isn't just dealing with a deadly strain of coronavirus, it's also dealing with a deadly strain of stupidity. If wearing masks killed people, there would be no doctors, no dentists, and no hockey goalies. Every hockey game would end with a score of 1,000 to 980. Why are we even arguing with these idiots? And this just shows you how destructive social media has been. I mean, you have random people berating qualified health professionals because of some conspiracy theory that they probably came across on their Facebook feed. You can't trust Facebook for medical advice. It isn't run by a doctor. It isn't even run by a human. And this is why everyone should stick to Instagram. The worst thing you'll end up doing is getting a butt lift and buying lots of plants. I mean, sure, your body will be out of proportion and your home will look like a forest, but at least you still believe in science. I mean, do these people listen to themselves? Just think for a moment, you guys think every government and every health expert around the world is involved in some giant conspiracy to oppress everyone on Earth, but they don't have the power to block that one video on YouTube that exposes the real truth. With this fake health crisis, we will enslave all of humanity. (laughs) But what about those YouTube videos? Does anyone know how to code? (laughs) Now, look, having people who believe crazy conspiracy theories and ignore facts, that's nothing new. What is new is that now one of those people lives in the White House.
1: Did anybody see my speech the other night on Saturday night? What I said the other night, there's never been anything where they have so many names. I could give you 19 or 20 names for that, right? got all different names, Wuhan, (laughs) Wuhan was catching on, coronavirus, right, Kung Flu, yeah, Kung Flu, COVID, COVID COVID-19, COVID, I said, what's the 19, COVID-19, some people can't explain what the 19,
0: give me the, COVID-19, I said, that's an odd name, Yes. How will we ever know why the disease discovered in 2019 has 19 in its name? It's probably the same idiots who came up with the name Madden 20. I mean, there's way more than 20 football players. It makes no sense. So on the one hand, we have scientists searching for a vaccine, sequencing genomes, and generally busting their ass on an unprecedented effort to understand and defeat this pandemic. On the other hand, We're six months into this thing, and the guy in charge of the response is still trying to figure out the name of the virus. Give me two more months, guys. I think I can crack it. I think the one and the nine goes together. It makes 10 times two is twenty twenty. That's why it's happening now. I guess what I'm trying to say is you might want to upgrade to Zoom Premium because we're going to be talking in those little boxes for a while. When we come back, we'll talk about how America's problem with police brutality might be your DVR's fault. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. In the wake of the George Floyd killing, most Americans have now come to realize that the police need sweeping changes. But the question is, why has it taken so long? Why did so many people, particularly white people, think until now that police are just fine the way they are? Well, one reason, is that most Americans don't actually have much actual experience with police. In fact, in a typical year, only 21% of US adults have any type of contact with police at all. So I mean, most Americans see the cops less than Trump sees Eric. So if people don't see cops in real life, how are they forming their opinions about the police? Well, a lot of it comes from the same way I form all my opinions about Klingons. Television, baby. Police dramas are iconic, hugely popular, and now under intense fire from activists who say these shows far too readily portray cops as good and trustworthy, I never put a hand on them. while undermining real life claims of systemic racism and abuse.
1: Police not only consult on these shows, but they're also very aware that their portrayals impact public perception, and they have a vested interest in making sure that portrayal is positive.
0: The 2015 study found viewers of crime dramas are more likely. to believe the police are successful at lowering crime, use force only when necessary, and that misconduct does not typically lead to false confessions. Yes, believe it or not, watching cop shows makes a lot of people see the police as infallible. And honestly, I don't blame any of these people. I mean, I'll admit a lot of my perceptions about reality have been shaped by TV as well. I believe sponges wear pants. I believe white people have no black friends. And most importantly, I believe that every kiss begins with K. Now, part of the reason it's easy for TV shows to convince people that cops are always right and always good at their jobs is because that's what we want to believe. I think we can all agree that we want people who are going to enforce laws fairly and effectively so that we don't have to do it ourselves. I know I don't want to do it. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to find the person who stole my car. I've got other things to do. You know, I want to go look for a new car. I don't want the stress of having to find the thief because I mean, like, what happens when I find them? Do I arrest them, huh? Do I throw them in prison in my apartment, huh? Then I have to give them a job in my library and then they educate themselves and get a degree and then they turn their life around and now I'm stuck with an inspirational story in my hands? I don't need that stress. And when you watch these shows, you understand how they can shape public perception. Because according to cop shows, whenever cops are breaking the law, it's only because they have to. We can't just break protocol because we think it's right at the time and expect to get away with it. Normally, I'd agree with you, but in this case, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. As you well know, we will need a warrant to search the house.
1: Agent Callan, these are exigent circumstances. You let me worry about the legal ramifications. If I gotta bend
3: the rules a little bit to get a bad guy off the street, I'm gonna do it. And you would too. Forget warrants, forget the rules. It's on us to catch him.
0: Ooh, that was cool. Although what that guy was actually saying is, the Constitution is for pussies. It's amazing how cops and TV shows are always saying that the only way to catch a criminal is by breaking the law themselves. Technically, that cop is now a criminal too, which means another cop should kick his ass. But then that new cop is also a criminal because he's breaking the law, which means another cop should then beat up cop number two, so the third cop beats him up, then a fourth cop has to come in to beat them, then a fifth... Basically, every cop show should end with the entire precinct in a brawl while the suspect just sneaks out of the door. And you see, that's what cop shows are really good at doing. They make us believe that the only way the police can truly be effective is if they break the rules that society created to protect us from police. And by the way, when TV cops break the rules... It's not usually by filling form 27G instead of 27B. No, they often do it by beating the shit out of a suspect. But I told you everything. No, you haven't, but you will. I want to beat the balls off you. Please don't let him hit me! Kyle, the only thing on this earth that's gonna stop him from hitting you is you telling
3: the truth. <laughs> You're gonna tell us what happened or I'm gonna do something I won't regret, not for one second.
2: We can do this the fast way, the slow way, then... This might
0: Ow! Jesus! You can't! Did you see that? Oh! What shot, Bones? Son of a bitch! going will fix you right now, so you can't love any more kids. You raped them, right?
2: Doesn't uh, uh, matter. Uh, uh. You sure you didn't give him brain damage when you slammed his head against the steering wheel?
0: Ah, uh, Captain Grover, I think brain damage was a pre-existing condition. Don't you think, George? I need to see a doctor. Whoa, all at once. (laughs) Yeah, that guy doesn't deserve to see a doctor. He maybe committed a crime. And even if he didn't commit the crime, well, then this will be a lesson to stop him from committing one in the future. It's the same reason I plan to pre-beat all my children, because you might not have done anything yet, but I know you will. It's actually crazy how every cop show has police just regularly using violence to help them do their job. TV doesn't do that with any other profession. They aren't medical dramas where they're like, doctor, this doesn't make any sense. The patient's lab work is normal, but his heart is failing. Well, maybe we need to smack him around a little bit and see what he knows. What? I used to be on a cop show. Every cop show makes it seem like the reason cops have to beat suspects is just because without the beatdown, they won't tell the truth. And so those beatings protect the rest of society from these lying criminals. But in real life, beating a suspect is a great way to get them to confess to something they didn't do, which means you've locked up an innocent person and you've let the real criminal walk free. Oh, and by the way, even if the person did do the crime, their lawyer can get them off because their confession wasn't legitimate because they were beaten. So beating a suspect to solve your case is like washing your computer with water. Yeah, the virus is gone, but so's your laptop. So whether we like it or not, TV is a powerful tool that shapes how the public sees the police, shapes how the public sees the police's role in society and how accountable they should be. Because in real life, when rogue cops throw away the rule book and take matters into their own hands, it doesn't look cool like in one of the TV shows. It
2: looks a lot more like this. The Valdosta Police Department facing a lawsuit this morning for unnecessary and illegal force after arresting the wrong suspect and reportedly breaking his arm in the process. Put your Wait, hands.
3: What are you doing? Oh, Jesus.
2: oh my God, oh please, I wasn't doing anything? Oh my God. That's painful body cam video showing the officers handcuffing and slamming that man to the ground. That was back in February. Antonio Smith stopped for suspicious activity and accused of panhandling, but officials had the wrong man. Smith was released at the scene. Now he's filing a $700,000 lawsuit. You see?
0: Unfortunately, every day in America, there are people who have encounters just like that with the police. And so to all those show creators, directors, and writers in Hollywood who make these cop shows and have been tweeting that something needs to be done about the police, well, one way you can help make a difference is if you do something about the police on screen. When we come back, Roy Wood Jr. checks in on a looting victim in his hometown, and then we'll talk to Jon Stewart. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Right now, America is seeing some of the most widespread protests in its history. And although the vast majority of them have been peaceful, there has been some looting. Now, our very own Roy Wood Jr. went to his hometown in Alabama to bring us this story of a small business owner and her surprising reaction to people who looted her store. I've
3: spent the last few weeks quarantining here at my mom's house in Birmingham. What Mom, I told you I'm at work. Birmingham has a deep history with civil rights, so it's not surprising that people protested here after the killing of George Floyd. Like in many cities, some of the protests led to riots and looting of small businesses, like this optometry office run by Dr. Wanaki Adams.
2: We've been here for years, you, you, you know, and it's just, it's unnecessary.
3: So I'm going to go and talk to her, and of course, I'm going to observe all pandemic protocols.
2: What happened the night of the protest? What did you say?
3: Which means I'm going to talk to her right here in this chair.
2: I get a call from my security company, and so I come down to find four windows broken and one of the doors broken, and they took my high-end frames.
3: Have you asked other optometrists in the area whether or not they did this to you? No, sir. Because it seems to me the only person that would steal prescription eyeglasses is somebody that could write a prescription for eyeglasses.
2: But, 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 now what I am doing is, if somebody has nerves enough to bring my own frame up in here, I'm gonna have to call the cops on them. Now, I don't know what I'm gonna do when I see them on their face.
3: We need to get a samurai sword and a baseball bat and just anybody with glasses, just
2: bust their ass in the face. You feel me? I feel you and I'm gonna let you lead that march. And I'm gonna be behind you 100%. Actually, what struck me about Dr. Adams was that she seemed
3: to feel compassion for the people who broke into her store?
2: If they are feeling pain like this, and I have to do something like this for a small price to pay, God will rebuild it, you know.
3: Why were you so understanding of the people that caused all this damage to you?
2: It must be some severe pain to 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 to, to execute uh, hurt in this level, you know. They have issues, you, you, you know, and they don't know how to properly channel that at, at the anger. But peaceful pro- protesters, I, I, I'm, I'm all for that.
3: It was okay, but just don't come tear up my shop again.
2: D- 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 there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I done paid my price. My contribution was to get up out of my bed and throw on the first thing I could try on, didn't even have my earrings on, and come down here and assess the damage. That, 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 that was my contribution.
3: So your contribution to the struggle was all them prescription eyeglasses that they stole?
2: Y- yes, and, be, and and being up all night long.
3: The story does have a silver lining. The day after the protest, the community mobilized to clean up Adam's store.
2: Well, I saw an outpouring of love, not just black, not just white.
3: I even heard a rumor that there was a guy that's from Birmingham that lives in New York and somehow ended up out there with a shovel too. Birmingham native and Comedy Central's Roy Wood Jr.
1: was right in the mix.
2: Oh, that was you! Oh, my goodness. Oh, Oh, it was! Yes, it was. Wow.
3: So crazy. And for the first black woman optometrist in Alabama, the recent media attention has opened some doors that had long been closed. Okay, so
2: what's next? You rebuild and you just go back to business? Well, we rebuild, but we go into business at another location. We'll be going to the Callahan Eye Foundation, which is one of the premier Eye facilities in Birmingham Alabama and to be quite honest 40 years ago I couldn't have worked there so it's, it's, it's progress
3: okay so let me get this straight your place gets vandalized volunteers come to clean it up then after the cleanup you get offered a new residency for your eye care practice at one of the most prestigious eye care institutes in the country
2: yes sir yes sir
3: tell the truth you tore it up you tore up your own business
2: to up no, your own no, business no. to get an
3: upgrade to a better eye care facility. Tell the truth.
2: No, no, no. I did not do that. No, sir. Look at the facts. I'm sorry. I, it, it's it, whatever the facts look like. It's an illusion.
3: I need to see your bank account and make sure you ain't paid no protesters. That's all I'm saying. N-
2: no, I ain't paid none of them protesters. Oh, mm, 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 you can che- you can check my records. hmm
3: It was probably Antifa. You know Antifa? Uh, uh, no, I don't
2: know Antifa. I got Aunt Shirley,
3: Aunt Rose, and I got Aunt Tifa. I'll give you her number later. She's really nice. You should meet Did
2: her. She, you think she want to get
3: an eyes examined? a This is possible. This proves that a community can rise up and come together under the worst circumstances. It also proves that I look good in glasses. Back to you, Trevor.
0: Thank you so much for that, Roy. That was amazing. Don't go away, because Jon Stewart is next. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with my old boss, John Stewart. His new movie, Irresistible, which he wrote and directed, will be in theaters and on demand beginning June 26th. We talked about his movie and much more. Do me a favor, though. Look at your lens and not and not the screen. So it's no the other. Yeah, yeah, that's closer to it. The, yeah, there, there, there. That? Yeah, that's it. But don't yeah. look at you. No, don't look there, please. What? <laughs>
2: Thank you, Trevor.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. John
1: Stewart, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. I've been doing press now for... It's got to be a week straight. Junkets and everything from the same space. And this is how I've been doing it. (laughs) And for the first time since I've been doing this, someone had the decency, the kindness to go, you might want to look at the camera.
0: Yeah. but this is like, uh, you know what? It's like the it's the common new, it's like a thing people don't realize because our screens and cameras, I feel like someone needs to put them in line because this is not how we talk to each other. This so is the...
1: I, yeah, you, you normally look at a person. This, I, I want to look at you. I want to do it like they imagined it in the science fiction movies in the 70s where you would do the video call and your head and my head no. talking. No, 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 I've come to realize
0: that like all the things that we learn from science fiction in the movies, it was very ambitious, but we've got like very, you know like, you know, like if you grew up with poor parents, they would always bring you a very um, like cheap version of the cool thing you wanted as a kid. That's the future we live in now. That's, so we were like, imagine if you could talk to someone through a screen, they're like, okay, you can't do that, but you can look off at them and seem like you don't know where they are and communicate effectively. That's basically what we do. Where are you right? Like, what is this? What is this room behind you? I'm in my attic.
1: Yes. This is the room uh, when my children were younger. Uh, this was their playroom. And so they did a lot of doodling or their cousins did because this is where they would come up with their cousins. And then they grew up and decided, you know what? I'm just gonna stay in my room, quarantine or no quarantine. Uh, and you're gonna go up into the attic. So that's what we've done. It's funny because like it's,
0: it's beautiful now that I know it was your kids who did that but it almost looks like the same graffiti that's on like the Confederate monuments around America. It looks like you let people practice the graffiti at your house
1: before they go to the monuments so they can get it right. Antifa has infiltrated my attic <laughs> There's a problem here. Uh, I'm doing the best I can, but they are rabble rousers. <laughs> and uh, as you can see, uh, they have decided that uh, this wall must, this is the Berlin wall and they are gonna take it down what do you what do you what do you make of all that like like honestly because you know like
0: I mean this just like the Confederate monuments like every statue coming down I mean it started with Confederate statues it started with you know like racist people from history then we started just seeing you know statues coming down of like people who fought for the the, the union and people who fought against slavery and uh, you know like what do you make of it are we just should we just get rid of statues what's going
1: on What you'll find is If you don't allow regular order to take down the statues that represent uh, the insurrection that tried to destroy this country and preserve the institution of slavery, if you make that impossible to do through pleading, uh, peaceful entreaty and all that, you're going to end up with a spasm. Look, people shouldn't have hundred years. The statues are not from the Confederate era. They're from the Jim Crow era. They're from right. the era when they right. built them to say, just so you know, I know uh, they let you go, but I just want to make sure everybody understands, like, we will still subjugate you. I hope that's, you know, and, and bring fear into your life. So, you know, because these statues are not, it, people say, like, you're erasing our history, which, by the way, I don't remember the conservatives during the Iraq war when the Saddam Hussein statue fell in Baghdad, I, I don't recall Republicans at the time going, <ım Laser> big mistake. You don't want to erase your history. That's your history. Leave it be. So, you know, the, 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 the plaque on the statue is not history. It doesn't say this motherfucker thought that he should fight a war to ensure uh, that he could have slaves on his plantation, that he could still benefit. And, that, and then we put it up to instill fear in the people that we kept as, as slaves and, and their uh, descendants. So this should have been done in short order by a normal functioning society years ago. You know, you, you, say, you say
0: something interesting, and that is a normal functioning society. It feels like normal functioning and society are three words that are very quick, quickly slipping away. All over the world, people are dealing with the same thing, that is coronavirus. But I honestly believe that America might be the only country where it's seen as a political issue as opposed to a pandemic. Do you know what I mean? It seems like something you can choose to believe in or not, or or where you stand politically defines whether like the legitimacy of the virus. Whereas in other places, they argue about how to deal with it, but the virus itself is not like a political issue.
1: And there are arguments, listen, it's we're not the only country that's arguing about how much to limit freedom of movement and right. have you know, in Italy, you saw, you know, big demonstrations and and protests against, uh, uh, you know, trying to confine people to a certain extent. But I think a reasonable view of it would be, it's not being done for the sake of tyranny. We are actually facing something where tens of thousands of people are dying. And it's, you know, if you think about it, like it's like preparing for a hurricane, you know, when, when a hurricane is coming, there's always those people that are like, government's full of shit. I'm not going to board up my windows. but this is a hurricane that if we prepare for it, the hurricane weakens. And that's that doesn't happen n- normally. But because in this country now we've set up parallel universes in in, in the multiverse that uh, the right lives in. You, you know, this is an infringement. It, it, it kind of the mask thing is what blows my mind, because, you know, surgeons wear them in operating rooms. And they don't wear them because, you know, they drive Volvos and sip chai tea and (laughs) NPR. Like, they wear them. Like, so I just want to say to people on the mask thing, like, great, next time you're having an operation and the surgeon comes in with washed hands and a mask, just be like, don't be a pussy, don't be some liberal puss. You take off that mask and you unwash your hands and you stick your paws in my open gaping wound. Because apparently, sanitary conditions are a liberal myth. I knew you, you, you know,
0: obviously, I mean, we knew each other when you were leaving The Daily Show. You were like, I'm getting into different things. I'm taking time with my family. I'm gonna do a movie here or there. It was interesting for me to see you do a political movie. You know, I was like, uh, John, aren't you just gonna get away from politics altogether? But then you made a movie that wasn't just about politics, but it was almost about the game that is beneath politics. I was shocked... The first time I went to New Hampshire for the primaries. And and I was sitting with, you know, like the aides of these um of these of these politicians, or and even the reporters, and they were like, oh yeah, they hang out. They they chat, they go out for drinks afterwards. They and I was like, What do you what do you mean? They hate each other on screen, and and then we hate people on each other's behalfs. And I see it happening in the country, but they are friends. And I didn't understand that concept. And it seems like that's what you're showing people in this movie is that we don't realize that the WWE of politics is, is not as real as we think it is. And we're willing to die for The Undertaker, but The Undertaker is just a guy named Bill who goes home with Triple H and they carpool.
1: You know what I mean? Right, let's not draw The Undertaker into this. First of all, he is a marvelous uh, wrestler and uh, was undefeated uh, at, uh, uh, you know, uh, WrestleMania. So let's not, until obviously uh, Lesnar. <laughs> L- listen, listen. I didn't want to make a movie about the political moment. Right. I feel like that's The Daily Show, and that's what you guys do so well, is you do the weather. Every night you come out, and you talk about the political moment, and you bring the funny, and the insight, and the context to the political moment. I really wanted to think about it as the climate, and the system, and that idea that we have kind of created this complex of media and and moneyed interests and politicians, and they all work and enrich each other, and there's very little accountability, and it grows in, you know, those types of symbiotic structures don't dismantle themselves. Here's this system with its own inertia and energy and self-interest and incentives to entrench itself and to grow itself, and it's really at odds with any relevant facts on the ground. Our, our, the system we have in place to elect people is almost working antithetically to the system we have in place to try and govern people. And we don't really have a robust governance system, but we've got an incredibly enriching and robust and corrupt and corrosive system of elections, of, of campaigns and of influence.
0: So do you see a change? Do you see an end where you go like, oh no, th- th- it's something is gonna happen that shuts this all down?
1: Where I'm optimistic is there are such talented, committed, energized people taking the reins of these really rotted out husks of institutions. And you get the sense that they're committed to rebuilding them in a manner that is going to create a sturdier foundation. And, you know, so much of this country, what you learn from this is, and the pandemic exacerbates it, you know, what's essential? Well, it turns out all the people in this country who are essential to its functioning are the lowest paid. And how did we create... How do we, you know, for for many years we've sort of gone on this principle of if we just take care of the investor class, we'll get a taste, you know, and I don't say we, because I'm, I'm now up there, but the pendulum has swung away from valuing work and we have to figure out, you know, and they always talk about the people that talk about trickle down are always about freedom and Liberty. Well. What's more liberating than not having to worry about your health insurance being tied to your job or working really hard, but still having to use food stamps. Like that's not freedom. And we have to find a way to make those in this country who are essential to give them more liberty. And more liberty comes from being able to live a life that is built on granite and not on quicksand.
0: I could talk to you forever, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us again. I hope everyone watches the movie. I hope you're having fun. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're loving your family and your kids uh, and enjoying yourself. And let me and, say this to
1: you. May I have a moment? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm so impressed by everything. Oh, I'll say it up here. I'm looking at your face, but I'll look into the camera. I'm just so impressed by everything that you guys are doing and the insights of the show and the hilarity of the show. And the, it, it's just, it's, it's magnificent. And I I just wanted to tell you, I know what goes into making it. So I am impressed for the right reasons because of, of how hard I know that it is and how beautifully you're doing it. The only thing I would say is, do you have to do it so handsomely? That, the handsomeness, if I may, feels a little bit like a personal attack. The other stuff I... I love it. If you could do the show without dimples, I'm just
0: saying. I will I will pass these comments on to management and uh,
1: we'll see what we can
0: do. John Stewart, thank you so much well, for joining us on the show. I hope to see you again. Look after yourself.
1: You look after yourself too. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Thank, you, thank Bye. you, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Do you want, how do I, now I don't even know how to hang up, so. Thank you so much for that, John. Well, that's our show for today. Now, as you may know, June is Pride Month. And right now, we wanna highlight charities that are making a difference for LGBTQ people of color. Uh, Associations like the National Black Justice Coalition, which advocates for federal policies that fight against racism and homophobia. If you'd like to help them and you'd like to join in, then please donate whatever you can. And if you'd like to help specifically in New York, Well then, what you can do is donate to the Audre Lorde Project. What they do is help LGBTQ communities of color fight for their rights to organize for change. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive
3: content and more.